I'm delighted to be joined today by uh, Professor Elroy Dimson, who's from the uh, Judge Business School at Cambridge University, an author of a uh, authoritative uh, multi-year study of global investment returns, which is published every year and has just come out. The latest edition has just come out this week. Uh, welcome, Elroy. Perhaps we can start by just summarizing what you've been doing in this research and what the theme is this year. Uh, well, let me give you a, a, a long-term perspective and then explain what we've been doing this year. Um, this is a study, a project which has been going on now. It's entering its 17th year, uh, done with two colleagues at London Business School, Paul Marsh and Mike Staunton. So although I'm at Cambridge, I still have a close affiliation with uh, London Business School. Uh, and we compiled a series of returns from major asset categories from many countries uh, over a period of well over a century. They're continuous annual returns, uh, and we cover altogether countries beginning in 1900, 23 countries, of which 21 have a, uh, an unbroken history. This year, we decided to interrogate the data and uh, see what the evidence is on interest rate hikes and interest rate cuts, perhaps the most topical issue that we've addressed in our 17 years. That's because the Federal Reserve has just uh, announced in uh, December that it was increasing interest rates for the first time for several years. We don't yet know whether that's going to be followed through or not. But um, obviously, it is timely for that reason. If it does continue with further interest rates, What's the sort of headline effect of what we, uh, of what you found by studying your data? Well, uh, it, it is very striking that uh, when we see interest rates being cut, um, that is good news, not just for um, the short term, but for really quite long periods after the cut, protracted periods, and good news for investors in all the asset classes that we looked at. We can discuss those asset classes later. Um, Today, as we speak, we've moved from a situation which we thought we were in in December of the U.S. leading a process of interest rate rises that might gradually be followed around the world. We've moved through a period of uh, it being clear that uh, rate rises were not uh, imminent in the United Kingdom. And we've moved to a, the point now where there's even uncertainty about whether the U.S. will continue with its uh, rate rises or stop, maybe even go into reverse. So there's keen interest and what the implication is of changes in the Federal Reserve Bank's discount rate and the corresponding rates around the world uh, on investment values. That's the key point, the, uh, whether or not it's continued. I think your study shows that uh, it's not actually uh, uncommon for interest rate rises to be uh, very limited in number. But what's the average experience and, what is, uh, and how often do we have a case where interest rates only go up once? Uh, over, over, over time? Well, we, we looked in great detail at the US and the UK over the long term, and we looked in a rather coarser, broad brush way um, at another 19 countries from 1900 onwards. Let me focus first of all on the US and the UK. For the United States, we've got uh, rates since the Fed was set up in 1913, so a little over a century of changes in interest rates. And for the UK, our data starts in 1930, because we can't get uh, uh, all the data we'd like before that, although we know about interest rate changes before 1930. So over the period we look at from 1930 to the beginning of 2016, the United States changed its short-term interest rate 221 times in a little over a century. So on average, that's about one increase and one decrease 
in each year. And Britain was much more productive. It had 316 changes in only 85 years. So um, the uh, monetary authorities in the UK were about twice as active in terms of changing interest rates as compared to their American counterparts. And that's the data we analyze. Uh, the broad brush story, as I said, is one that uh, when interest rates are cut, that's good news. When interest rates go up, that's bad news. But it's bad news for a very wide variety of different asset categories. Well, let's look at one, one or two of those, shall we? Let's uh, start with the obvious one of what happens to uh, equity markets after uh, you get an interest rate rise as opposed to when you have an interest rate uh, decline? Well, we look at both the short term and the long term. So over the short term, we look on a daily basis over the 20 trading days, that's roughly a month, leading up to the interest rate rise or fall. And we look for 20 days afterwards. And then we also look at the long-term data, looking at multi-year data. So in the short term, uh, if we're looking at the stock markets, uh, then when we find there are rises in, in the uh, interest rate, there is a decline uh, of uh, a proportion of uh, 1%, but a 1% decline over a month in addition to whatever else is going on. So these are what we call abnormal returns. That's over and above any trend that's going on over the entire century that we're looking at. And then we can look at what happens when interest rates fall. Uh, and on average, there is an abnormal upward movement in equity prices of between 1% and 2%. So uh, short term, these are pieces of good news. The curious thing to me is that it takes a while for this news to drift through even over that 20-day interval. So uh, people don't immediately mark the price up to where it ought to be. Um, there's a gradual impact on average uh, on prices as the full impact appears to be absorbed by the investment community. You also look at uh, the difference in returns uh, between interest rate uh, hikes and falling cycles um, across a slightly longer period as well. I think you take uh, two years annualized uh, returns and measure the difference between uh, different uh, asset class returns in those periods. Is that right? Uh, well, we look at one year for uh, assets like equities and bonds. And I said we look at other things as well. And we look at uh, a wide variety of real assets like uh, uh, housing, farmland, uh, art and so forth. And those trade relatively infrequently. So it's for those that we focus on a full two years after the rate rise. Um, and um, in general, we're looking um, one year out. And we also look at industries. Uh, so let me stick with the equity market. For the equity market, we have industries broken down into uh, broad categories. Um, and we've got that for the United States and for the United Kingdom over this uh, uh, long period. And uh, what we find is not only that the uh, impact on uh, markets is substantial, but we also find within markets the particular industries uh, do better when interest rates are rising, when interest rates are falling. And so what we look at there is the relative performance of each industry relative to the market. And so in terms of that relative performance, we see that uh, cyclical industries um, over quite a lengthy period uh, end up uh, uh, doing well when interest rates have been cut. Um, and defensive industries, in a relative sense, um, after there's been a rise, they outperform compared to the overall market. And um, we report on this in, in our publication. And I think your finding there is that this very much uh, accords, uh, in this particular instance, this accords with the way that professional investors tend to think about these different industries. In other words, that uh, 
the cyclicals do do well in certain periods and the defensives do well in other periods. And that at least is uh, confirmed by your evidence. Well, I think it's quite comforting to investigate uh, a set of beliefs that people have, which are challenged quite a lot by academics, uh, and to find that the uh, traditional investment beliefs are, are supported by the data. The challenge from academics is that the underlying factors that influence uh, groups such as uh, uh, industry sector indices are really the factors that we talk about. Some people call them smart beta factors, although it's not a term I like. Um, and uh, we find the factors like value and size and uh, uh, the, the magnitude of dividend yield, those are all impacted by the change in the short-term interest rate. Um, so I find it quite comforting that uh, not only are those uh, factors like the relative performance of small compared to large companies confirmed in this data, um, but uh, we also find that the traditional view of industries classified as to whether they are cyclical or non-cyclical, some people would call them defensive industries, behave broadly the way people always have done. The difference between our evidence and others is that we just have a much larger data set and we find that the impact of interest rates is really quite pervasive. Yes, I think that's a particularly interesting part of your uh, analysis. Uh, I mean, for, just let's take one of those examples. Let's take the small cap and, and large cap. You've studied this uh, divergence uh, quite uh, a lot over the years. And um, what you find, I think, is that uh, uh, when interest rates are rising as opposed to periods when they're falling, that the uh, the change in performance between large and small cap is is actually quite significant. Yes, I mean we we we, we have a particular interest in small caps because uh, we had launched the UK's first small cap index uh, in 1987, so an astonishingly long time ago. So we do follow that particularly closely, um, and so. When we look at small cap performance, what we look at is the performance of small caps compared to large caps. It's it's the difference between the two. Uh, and so we're looking here at a premium, the amount by which small caps have exceeded large caps. If we look at the US or the UK overall, small caps have beaten large caps over our long period of a century or so. Uh, when did that happen? After rate falls, it was quite a substantial outperformance. And after rate rises, small caps got left behind and they failed to outperform large caps. So the premium was actually negative. So there are clearly um, good times and bad times to be choosing to be exposed to these different segments of the market. For those who are uh, individual investors, not professionals who who listen to your, your podcasts, uh, what I point out is that it does cost something to switch between small caps and large caps. I wouldn't advocate uh, frequent jumping between the two. But nevertheless, uh, everybody has a choice at times as to what they focus on. And looking at the interest rate environment, I think, is relevant. And can we then just bring this back a little bit? You're obviously, as you say, you're an academic. You're analyzing uh, the data to find out what really happened as opposed to what people think might have happened. But what can you say, if anything, about the current environment we're in? I mean, one of the points you make, I think, quite clearly is that it's all very well to know how assets uh, perform during uh, different uh, interest rate uh, cycles. But, of course, the trick is to know when you're actually starting the cycle and, and when it's actually ending, because unless you have perfect foresight, you're not always clear about when that, what that uh, point is. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased you've uh, brought me back to this. If you assume that you kind of can look through history and pinpoint buying days and selling days, well, of course, there's obvious opportunities, but they are a product of hindsight. 
So what we do in our research is that we identify whether we are in an interest rate increasing or an interest rate decreasing cycle. And we do it in a very simple way. At the beginning of our data, if there is an interest rate increase, we deem ourselves to be in an interest rate hiking environment, in 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 an interest rate rising cycle. And we stay there until there's a cut. So we will we will have uh, a period in which we are facing interest rate rises. If there is a cut in interest rates, we deem ourselves to be in an interest rate cutting environment, and we deem ourselves to be there continuously until there's an interest rate rise. So on the day of the announcement, we know whether we are in what we deem to be uh, a rising or falling interest rate environment. And what we investigate is what happens if you follow an investment strategy of sticking with the interest rate rising or the interest rate declining uh, environment. And uh, uh, every day in our entire history, it can be classified, therefore, as being... uh, uh, a tightening or a loosening day, an interest rate uh, cutting or interest rate rising day. So that's how we do it. Um, if we knew in advance, uh, rather than waiting until the, the uh, announcement, and if we knew in advance for how long we were going to be in that sort of environment, uh, we would be in much better shape. But we're not assuming any foresight in the results that we report. And of course, we have now been in a I guess you you would describe categorize this as an easing uh, cycle now for a long time since uh, interest rates were at last cut uh, after the uh, during the global financial crisis and haven't been increased uh, since then. So this presumably is one of the longest easing cycles we've had. And the critical point now for investors is to uh, try and determine whether, in fact, the cycle is going to continue, as you noted earlier, or whether indeed it might uh, go into reverse. Yes, I mean most of the people who who listened to this uh, broadcast will be uh, in the UK or focusing on the United States. So we would have thought of ourselves late last year and early this year as being in uh, an environment in which interest rates are rising. That, of course, is not true for all the world. So uh, uh, China, Japan, the Eurozone, um, they are in a situation in which interest rates are, if anything, being cut further. Um, and it's only now with these uh, substantial setbacks in, in the financial markets that we've seen uh, some discussion as to whether the interest rate rising environment, which we thought we were in for a brief interval, whether that will in the end continue, and this is just a blip, um, or whether we're moving back into interest rate cuts. Um, this may all be clearer by the time people are listening to this, but to reading this morning's papers, um, the future looks a little bit foggier than it did a short while ago. Indeed. And so uh, I think that the point we all have to take away is that uh, if this is indeed a turning point in the interest rate cycle, at least in the United States, um, that should over time be positive for the, the kind of assets that do well in those periods. Uh, but unfortunately, it's far too early to say whether that is the case. And indeed, as you point out, around the other parts of the world, it's definitely we're still in an easing phase. So uh, presumably... Uh, those uh, benefits uh, or those uh, positive things that happen during easing cycles could continue, which just raises one final point I wanted to put you. I mean, the the uh, I suppose the common sense uh, view might be, well, one of the reasons why everything seems to be falling now is that uh, the news is uh, is bad, that the outlook for the economy, global economy is bad and, and, and specific issues about stock markets. And yet, um, if it is an interest rate easing cycle, how can bad times be good? Oh, well, I mean, there's, there's a reason why central banks change interest rates. And so um, if uh, 
uh, in the good times, which I don't think that's the consensus for, for now, but in the good times, you can end up uh, seeing that an economy is overheating and, uh, uh, and inflation is rearing its head. And in the bad times, under normal circumstances, there's a need to, um, uh, to encourage consumer spending and to uh, lower companies' borrowing costs, and so interest rates get cut. Our starting point, as, as you observe, is one of having a remarkably long period uh, of stable interest rates. There are no investment professionals in their 20s, and very few in their 30s, who, while they've been working, have even lived through a period in which interest rates rose, even once. This is just, we've only just encountered that. So people don't quite know where we're heading, but they have to take account of the fact that the actions of the central bank will be interpreted as um, a response to uh, the view about what the economy looks like going forward and what the uh, uh, what, what a central banker, whether it's in the US or in the UK, whether it's the Fed Open Markets Committee or whether it's the Monetary Policy Committee over here, what they want to do to uh, influence the state, state of the economy. Well, that's very true. And, and I think the point you make about uh, most people or many people not having lived through a period of interest rate uh, increases makes it all the more important to uh, for them to uh, to study and read about uh, the kind of uh, periods when those have happened in the past, which your research uh, amply demonstrates. So I'd like to uh, thank you, Elroy, for this very uh, enlightening uh, conversation. Uh, and I've added some uh, details and uh, uh, factual extracts from your uh, report in the on the website. So I'm very grateful to you. And uh, I look forward to uh, uh, talking to you again on uh, on these and other matters. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.